Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is episode 142. Today's 14 July, evening of 14 July. Got, uh, let's see, eight stories. Uh, about three, the first half, first four, probably NATO-type stuff, Europe. And then the stories like five through eight. Part of maybe a new series I should do called Armor is Not Dead. The last four stories are about kind of armored vehicles, a tank story, and some armor-type vehicles to say that, hey, you know, I know we talk about it sometimes, how robotics are the future, which they are. They're not going away. Uh, you're going to see more and more. But the armor's still not dead. It's still, uh, it's still a key capability in, in, in a lot of armies, even the United States Army, Western armies, a key capability. And you'll see as we go over, we got four stories about armored vehicles. Um, that's in the news anyway. So here we go. We'll start off with NATO. We should probably talk about the NATO summit they had in uh, Vilnius. We kind of referred to it the last couple of episodes. Well, it's over with, so... Let me find a good story on it. Stand by. Uh, this is from Breaking Defense. It's, I don't know if it's an op-ed or just a, written by an author. His name is John Denny. A little bit about him before I get started. It's from Breaking Defense. The date on this is 14 July today. Breaking Defense. John Denny, and he is a research professor for, at the U.S. Army War College Strategic Studies Institute, a non-resident senior fellow of the Atlantic Council an associate fellow at NATO Defense College. He's an author of NATO and Article 5, The Views Expressed Are His Own. So it's kind of like an op-ed piece for Breaking Defense by this guy, guy John uh, Denny, D-E-N-I. So uh, Arthur John Denny argues that the NATO, the name of the article is NATO Vilnius Summit could have been historic. Instead, it mostly kicked the can down the road. Author John Denny argues that at the NATO Summit, there was little significant movements on key issues leaving much on the table for the Alliance's 75th birthday summit next year in Washington, D.C. Vilnius uh, 2023 will be remembered most likely for Turkish President uh, Erdogan's decision to greenlight Sweden's membership application, but this decision occurred the day before the summit even began. Otherwise, there was little significant movement on several key issues, leaving much on the table for the Alliance's 75th birthday next year in Washington, D.C. Despite the drama surrounding Ukraine's candidacy, one of the other big uh, ideas was, will Ukraine be accepted in the NATO? Some people thought it would, some people thought it wouldn't. But despite the drama surrounding Ukraine's candidacy, energized by Ukraine President uh, Zelensky's vocal frustration over NATO's shifting approach to his country's membership, there was little substantive change in Ukraine's relationship with NATO. And certainly no clear timeline for membership that than what was offered at the Bucharest summit in 2008. The excess, excessive attention paid to the language of Ukraine's membership also obscured that Ukraine failed to come away with game-changing security assistance. Certainly, Kiev received new promises, which will help the war effort. 
Germany announced it would provide 770 million additional assistance, including 25 Leopard tanks, 40 additional infantry fighting vehicles, and two more Patriot air defense missile launchers. France announced it would send 150-mile-range Scalp cruise missiles, similar to the Storm Shadow missiles sent by the United Kingdom. Norway announced an additional $240 million for unspecified equipment and other support. Also, the Netherlands and Denmark announced that they had signed up nine other countries to participate in F-16 training consortium for Ukrainian pilots to be run out of Romania, and which would start operations as soon as next month. Uh, most allies, and especially those that can produce heavy equipment and ammunition necessary for Ukraine's counteroffenses have yet to place their defense industries on a wartime footing. Germany, in particular, has yet to formulate sufficient long-term contracts that will incentivize industry sorry, to add additional productive capability, and French officials may be reluctant to take on fiscal costs associated with turning Ukraine's military advantage into a kind of European version of Israel. And Ukraine wasn't the only place where the summit delivered less than hoped. For instance, the alliance made no significant headway on its commitment to deterrence by denial in Eastern Europe. The alliance's signature initiative there, the Enhanced Forward Presence, remains too small and reliant on reinforcement after a crisis has already begun. Uh, Canada kind of got into this. Can uh, immediately before the start of the summit, Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau announced a doubling of the Canadians' EFP contingent in Latvia, which is Enhanced Forward Presence forward presence to as many as 2,200 troops. This force structure won't be complete till 2026 at the earliest. Meanwhile, there was no significant change to the Defense Investment Pledge, a commitment made by alliance leaders at the 2014 summit in Wales, more, than, more commonly known as a 2% goal. And finally, allied leaders in Vilnius did, did approve new operational plans for defense of Europe. However, their endorsement by heads of state and government was largely a pro forma matter following their completion this past spring and endorsement by Allied Minister Secretary of Defense in June. Um, certainly, it was it was weighty, important thing for all leaders of 31 allies to gather and discuss their most important duty to protect and defend their citizens. Nonetheless, on several fronts, the achievements of Vilnius Summit leave much on the table for the allies to continue discussing and refining, hopefully in time for the next summit in Washington next summer. Again, I cherry-picked a lot of stuff from this article, if you don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know I usually read through the article and highlight what I want to talk about. I probably got 75% of it, but if you want the other 25, just check it out. So that's that story. So we're on the NATO summit. We might as well talk about Sweden. Um, here we go. Sweden, this is from Breaking Defense. I'm sorry I don't have the date of it or who wrote it. Uh, Turkey won't clear Sweden's way into NATO for three months, Erdogan says. Uh, Turkish President Erdogan said today, so obviously this is Monday's article, today's Friday, so this happened Monday, that the country's parliament won't be able to ratify Sweden's NATO membership application until October, a delay likely to disappoint Stockholm and NATO nations just days after a way appeared clear for the alliance's would-be 32nd member. Erdogan agreed to pass an accession protocol for Sweden to Turkey's Grand National Assembly on Monday, but he told the media at the NATO summit that there's a two-month-long recess for Parliament ending in October, and it wouldn't be possible to take the matter up before that. 
this de delay does not fundamentally threaten Sweden's membership, but it could raise concerns among NATO partners that Ankara will use it as a bargaining chip to elicit new political or military concessions. For instance, the sale of uh, sale by the United States of F-16 fourth-generation fighter jets to Turkey remains one such item. In the wake of Erdogan's agreement on the Sweden's accession, both sides stressed a newfound optimism that a deal could be completed soon for the F-16s. Reuters reported in January that the Biden administration had notified Congress of a deal worth $20 billion for 40 new F-16s, later described as Block 7072 Viper Standard F-16 Victors and Viper upgrades for 79 existing aircraft, in addition to 900 air-to-air -air missiles and 800 bombs. Washington previously denied Turkey to purchase up to 100 F-35 fifth-generation fighter jets and removed it from the Joint Strike Fighter Program altogether in response to Ankara's acquisition of Russian S-400 air defense systems. Uh, Erdogan downplayed any suggestion that the United States Congress might look to apply conditions to the F-16 deal, however, such as restricting Turkey using aircraft against Greece as a dispute over a JNC lingers as a dispute over the JNC, a JNC lingers. Excuse me. Regarding Greece, and here's a quote from uh, the president. Regarding Greece and Northern Cyprus, we met Greek Prime Minister uh, today, Erdogan said. We don't have a cause to gain more enemies. At today's meeting, we discussed the ways to deepen our friendship. Our meeting today was refoundation of a relationship. To this date, our F-16s weren't used in that way, and from now on, they won't be used in that way against Greece. That's a quote from President Erdogan. In this story. Uh, while we're on uh, Turkey, it's the third story from Turkey. I don't think we've done three Turkey stories. Uh, Turkish defense exports jump led by interest in land systems drones is a report. This is from Angela, I'm sorry, Agnes Halu, 13 July. With an increased demand amid ongoing conflicts, the, Dur the Turkish defense industry experienced a jump across the board in 2022, leading the way with land systems as well as unmanned aerial vehicle exports. And the latest sign of demand for perhaps the nation's most high-profile export, the TB2 Bayraktar UAV. Uh, this week, a Ukrainian official announced the Turkish firm was constructing a factory in Ukraine to produce the drones. The Turkish defense and aerospace industry sector reached a $12.2 billion revenue in 2022, and that was a 20.5% increase from 2021. Surprisingly, land systems and not UAVs took the lead in Turkish defense exports. Uh, the total value of exports amounted to $4.4 billion. And here's some of, some of that $4.4 billion. Land exports is $835 million. Sea exports, $561 million. And air exports, $546 million. And for 534.8 million weapons, ammunition, and missile exports, and there was a few others not worth reading. Uh, among the most, among the known importers of land systems are Azerbaijan, Hungary, Kenya, Saudi Arabia, Gambia, the United Arab Emirates, Malaysia, Oman, Philippines, Georgia, Libya, Qatar, Indonesia, and Somalia. End of story. So next, we're going to go to, this is kind of a, a surprising story. It's uh, from a U.S. general. Uh, where is it at? Here we go. 
Again, breaking the fence. I think all the last few stories were all breaking the fence. All four of them. They might have some good coverage of uh, NATO stuff. Uh, this is from Michael Mar Marrow, 12 July. U.S. NATO weapons stockpile dangerously low. USAF general. So this is an Air Force general. This is not some some Air Force general in the States. This is a guy in Europe, uh, commander of U.S. Air Forces in Europe and Africa. So this is a you know kind of a heavy guy. Uh, who's in the know, and it's kind of surprising he would make a, a statement like this, and I'll get to it. Uh, amid high tempo of arms transfers to Ukraine, the stockpile of U.S. weapons and those of allies are getting dangerously low, the commander of U.S. Air Forces in Europe said today, which was 12, 12 July. And, and worse, he warned, there are no short-term fixes on the horizon. Speaking on a panel with air chiefs from the United, uh, of the United Kingdom and Sweden, during the Chief of Air Staff's Global Air and Space Chiefs Conference in London, uh, U.S. Air Force Europe Commander General James Hecker, who also leads Air Forces, U.S. Air Forces in Africa, urged fellow North uh, NATO members to take a hard look at their status of their weapons stockpiles. I think it's very important that we take stock of where we are in our weapons state across 32 nations of NATO. And we're getting way down compared to where we were. Uh, here's another quote. If you look at the United States itself, and let's not just talk about munitions we've recently given away to Ukraine, but we're roughly at half the number of fighter squadrons than we were during Desert Storm. So we don't have nearly what we had at the heart of the Cold War. Now you add that we're giving away a lot of munitions to the Ukrainians, which I think is exactly what we need to do, but we're getting dangerously low and sometimes, in some cases, even too low that we don't have enough, and we need to get industry on board to help us out so we can get this going. That's a quote. That's pretty heavy duty right there to me, U.S. General saying that. Um, the recent controversial decision by the Biden administration to send cluster munitions to Ukraine banned over 100 countries due to human rights concern was in part influenced by constrained munitions stockpile. Over 2 million 155-millimeter artillery rounds, among other munitions, have been shipped to the war-torn country. And U.S. officials have framed, framed the cluster bomb shipments as a temporary measure to provide more time to spin up artillery production and sustains Ukraine's ongoing counteroffensive. Some commentary here. I said it before. The big num uh, the number one story of 2022 was 155 millimeter artillery rounds, and here it comes up again. Over two million rounds have been sent from the United States. So. Because they're in a bad way, they're going to send some of these DPICMs. Uh, moving on. A surging demand for weapons in the wake of Russia's invasion have stressed Western industrial base, which have actively eschewed a wartime footing. Eschewed. That's a good word. Moves like multi-year procurement authorities have been deployed by the Pentagon to provide industry a more predictable timetable for production. But General Hecker joined other top officers in calling for more action. Uh, that's probably enough. I don't know. I thought that was, uh, that was kind of a bold statement for him to say that. Now we're going to go into the, the armor is not dead portion of the program. Where are we at? 15 minutes. Man, man, I couldn't have planned this any better. Look at that. 1530 and we're in halfway done. So first story of the armor is not dead. This is from Defense News. Megan Eckstein, 13 July. Three of four planned ACV variants rolling down BAE's production line. This is a Marine Corps story. 
So three variants of the Marine Corps Amphibious Combat Vehicle are rolling down the production line at BAE Systems York, Pennsylvania facility, and the company expects to finalize the fourth variant designed this fall, program leader said. This is a really good article. So the Marine Corps began fielding the personnel variant, which will make up the vast majority of the, vast majority of the ACV fleet in early FY21. And then there's an ACV command and control vehicle known as the AVC-2. That's in production now and should, release, should reach IOC in the second quarter of 24. IOC means uh, first unit equipped. How about that? We'll just call it first unit equipped around March of next year. That's according to Colonel Tim Huff, Program Manager for Advanced Amphibious Vehicle. Advanced Amphibious Assault. That doesn't sound right. Anyway, uh, though the Marine Corps decided to move the ACV-C production in March 22, following design reviews and testing, Defense Department testers found that the ACV is operationally effective as a stationary command post, but not operationally effective as a mobile command post. That tells me is it's, it can't move and, and have the same capability and capacity as it is if it's halted. And we know what's going to happen in a future conflict when you're halted all the time, right? You're going to get blasted. Uh, moving on. The ACV does not have enough secure beyond light of sight voice and data nets to support the command and control mission, according to the Director of Operational Test and Evaluation released in January. When the ACVC is stationary, Embark staff can set up additional but beyond light of sight, external antennas to support communication demands. The report continued. The Embark staff is limited to a single beyond light of sight net when the AC when the ACVC is mobile. That's I guess that makes sense, right? Once you're halted, you can set up uh, stationary antennas and you can reach out and touch whoever you want to reach out. But once you're moving her on, you got to take those antennas down and move. I wonder if a tethered system would work. Moving on. Uh, now we're going to talk about another variant, the ACV-30, which has got that 30-millimeter cannon. The production line is also working on three ACV-30 vehicles, a variant of the vehicle that features the 30-millimeter cannon. These are known as production representative test vehicles, and once completed, will be used for operational testing that will help the Marine Corps confirm the design is ready for to enter production. Uh, the ACV-30 test vehicles will go to Marines in early 2024 for testing. The 30-millimeter cannon variant should hit IOC by third quarter of 26. We'll call it, we're just going to say for, for general purposes, IOC means first unit equipped. Uh, I'll repeat that. Uh, first unit, uh, third quarter of 26, according to this guy, Huff. Uh, meaning at least one unit will have enough vehicles and sufficient spare parts for deployment overseas, as well as training to operate and maintain these vehicles without outside help. That's a pretty good definition of IOC, a.k.a. first unit equipped, meaning one unit, first unit, will have enough vehicles and sufficient spare parts for deployment, plus training to operate and maintain the vehicles. There you go. That's that's a damn good part of my language. That's a very good definition of IOC, or F, which implies FUE, first unit equipped. That's enough acquisition stuff there. Uh, at this point, you know, once they field this thing, it will be the largest direct fire weapon system in the ground combat element since the Marine Corps had gotten rid of their tanks. How about that? So once they got rid of the M1s, now they got this 30 millimeter cannon variant. 
Uh, let's get to the other variant, which is the recovery variant. The recovery variant, also known as the ACVR, will allow for field-level maintenance and towing of other ACVs. That vehicle is in design. Uh, the ACVR won't hit IOC until FY28, so Marines will continue to use the AAV recovery variant for field-level maintenance until then. The Marine Corps will continue buying and fielding ACVs through, talking about all of the whole family, through FY29, six years. Uh, the Marine Corps kicked off this, this ACV family in FY21. More than 200 of the baseline personnel carriers have come off the production line and 139 have arrived to operational units or in the schoolhouse. So they've got the uh, personnel variant already. So just to kind of a recap, the variants, the four variants are personnel, recovery, uh, the ACV-30 was the one with the 30 millimeter cannon, like a gun truck version, and then the ACV command and control, ACVC. So those are your four variants. That's a very good article by Megan Eckstein. I liked it. All right. Second article in the Armor is Not Dead part of the program is Italy to buy Leopard combat tanks and upgrade Ariettes. This is by Tom Kington, 13 July. Italy is planning to buy 133 new German Leopard tanks and upgrade 125 of its aging Ariette tanks as the Ukraine war brings high-intensity land warfare back to Europe. Announcing the plan in Parliament, Italian Junior Defense Minister Isabella Rauti said Italy wanted the Leopard 2A8 combat version tank and upgrades the Ariettes to achieve a radical and significant improvement in its land capabilities as the Ukraine conflict makes tanks once again fundamental to warfare. Said it before, this is me talking now, not the article. I said it before, I'll say it again. In 2000, I was at Fort Polk, Louisiana, Fort Johnson now, reading an Army Times article that said the tank is dead. That was 23 years ago. So here we are in 2023 and the tank is not dead. Uh, moving on with the article. Italy has 200 home-built Ariette tanks, of which 50 are still operational. Uh, Rayuti told Parliament that the country needs more than 250 battle tanks to meet NATO requirements. 4 billion euro, or 4.49 billion U.S., would be budgeted for these new buys in 2024. Uh, Rayuti did not qu uh, quantify the number of leopards to be purchased, but source knowledge of the plan said 133 of combat tanks are needed. 4 billion euro will cover that acquisition between 24 and 2037, with further funds being spent on other variants of the leopards, said the source. So this is 133 tanks, 4 billion euro, uh, 24 to 37. That's quite a long time, right? That's 10 years, 13 years. Uh, the upgrading of the 125 Ariettes would cost around 900 million euro and extend their life to 2034. In her address to the parliament, in her address to the Defense Commission of the lower house of the Italian Parliament, Rauti said the purchase of the Leopards would not rule out Italy's entry into the envisioned Franco-German main ground combat systems initiative. Good article there. Uh, we got two more. Short articles. We're at 23 minutes. Uh, here's Defense Post. Uh, an episode would not be complete without a Defense Post article. 
This is from Ender Bish, 13 July. UK approves trophy active protection system for the next trials on the Challenger 3 tank. UK Ministry of Defense has contra- contracted Raphael for the next round of tests of the trophy active protective systems on the Challenger 3 tank. The system, uh, this, this trophy system, locates an incoming missile or rocket within a second and destroys it according to the Army. It's also known as APS Active Protection System. The APS has been trialed on Challenger 3 representative system for a three-week assessment phase with 25 shots, including live ones. The British uh, Army tank, Challenger 3, is expected to enter service in 2027. Uh, Here's a quote from the APS lead, David Tomlin. He says the assessment phase trials of the APS has been completed, and we now have confidence to move on forward to the next phase. Uh, placing this contract will, will allow the demonstration phase to start in 2024, where the APS system will be qualified and integrated onto the uh, Challenger 3 tank. Securing these trophy long lead items is another step forward in securing a world-class protection system for our soldiers on the front line. Uh, the Israel, Israeli Defense Force Merkava main battle tanks have been equipped with the trophy since 2010. Also, the Israel's Namer Armor personnel carries or features this system. So now the Brits are going to get for their Challenger 3 tank the trophy system. I think it's used on the M1 also. And last story. This story actually comes from uh, Tim Martin, Breaking Defense 11 July. It came out of the, the Vilnius Summit. Uh, we kind of referred to it earlier, where Germany is going to give a $769 million weapons package to Ukraine, but it also clears a huge boxer deal with Australia. And I'm going to get to that. So uh, Berlin brokered a formal in-principle agreement with Australia for more than 100 boxer armored vehicles, according to Reuters. Other reports value the deal at approximately $661 million United States dollars. The agreement falls under the German Army's heavy weapons carrier infantry program designed to source a successor to weasel vehicles. So 100 boxers made in Australia, 661 million U.S. Negotiations on the deal between German and Australian governments, as well as the vehicle maker Rheinmetall, originally started in April 23 to establish appropriate legal and commercial arrangements according to the manufacturer, manufacturer being Rheinmetall. Boxer production for Germany, which is based on the Australian combat vehicle, which is based on the Australian Army's combat reconnaissance vehicle (CRV) variant, takes place in Queensland, Australia. Fitted with a Mark 32 ABM automatic cannon as a main armament, the CRV version also f- features two-man lance turret, a two-man lance turret, as well as reconnaissance mission module called Ramatol. So it's got a two-soldier turret. The manufacturer said previously that Germany's deliveries to Germany would take place from 2025 on. And that's it. That's the last armor story. Do I, I got one more story here. Should I do it? Uh, what am I doing on time? 27 minutes. Might as well. This is from Defense News. July 14, Elizabeth Gosselin Malo. Serbia looks to join Spanish surveillance drone program. Serbian officials have confirmed that the country... One of the largest military drone operators in the Balkans is looking to join the Airbus-led surveillance drone program called SIRTAP, already planned to be acquired by Spain and Colombia. 
during a recent guest appearance on national television stations, Serbian Assistant Minister of Defense confirmed that the country is exploring industrial cooperation opportunities with Airbus for Belgrade to take part in the effort. Uh, the project is led by Airbus Spain, aims to produce a tactical unmanned drone, unmanned aerial vehicle designed for intelligence gathering surveillance. Although the drone is currently still in pre-designed phase, the Spanish Ministry of Defense recently approved funds nearing 542 million United States dollars from its defense budget to invest in the program and is looking to acquire a total of 27 of these aerial vehicles. Serbia has previously signaled it wants to be in the program, but it remains too early to tell what capacity it would be joining the initiative. Uh, Serbia has experience with producing its own combat drones and is now operating the CH-92 uh, and 95 Chinese series as well. Uh, the Serbian Ministry of Defense could not be reached for comment. That's a pretty good story there. So that's uh, that took a couple. That took a minute. Anyway, that's all I got for you tonight. I'm under 30 minutes. Uh, actually, my last episode was under 30 minutes because that was for the radio station down in Tampa. Uh, I don't know how that went. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. It came on at 3.30 today, Friday, 14 July. And I was at work, and I was tied up, and I meant to... Anyway, I never got to listen to it, so I'll... I hope people in Tampa liked it. I don't know. Um I don't know if that'll increase my downloads or not. I was trying to expand the audience, which is why I did it. But we'll see. I was on the radio station twice, and I think I was on the radio station once in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, for one episode. So, for better or for worse, I've been on the radio twice. Once in Wisconsin, once in Florida. And, of course, I mean, if you dig the show, you know where to find it. I mean, you're here. So, uh, we're still going to be on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and all that stuff. Most of the episodes, uh, downloads we get are from Apple, uh, believe it or not. Uh, but anyway, so that's it. We're at 30 minutes exactly. That's episode 142 in the books. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Hopefully you'll come back. And if you're a long-time listener, which I think I have a few long-time listeners, uh, thank you very much. And I mean that sincerely. And you keep coming back and hopefully we'll keep picking the best stories that we can. Um, we should probably do some Pacific stories. I don't think we've done any Indo-Pacific. I'm writing that down. We haven't done any Indo-Pacific stories for a minute. So, Actually, I was going to do one from... Uh, I had it already, and I didn't do it. It's from uh, National Defense. The print version, I get still get the print version from July, is China pursues its own version of JADC2. Um, I didn't want to do it because we haven't talked about JADC2 for a while. So I think I'll save this. The next time we do a JADC2 uh, story, I'll pull this one out because the, uh, the Chinese military is looking to counter that, of course. So might be a good opportunity to pull this out. Okay, now we're really done. So that's it. Episode 142 in the books. Thank you very much for listening and good night.